Hi there. Adam St. John from 1001 by 1 with a brief message before today's episode. As we were recording our talk on Pather Panchali, Ian's audio program dropped out. Now, luckily, we have a backup program downloading our conversation, but you will notice a drop in quality about halfway through the podcast. Uh, no worries. We know about the issue. We have done what we can to resolve it, and we still get the full conversation in line, so you're not missing anything. Um, so thank you for this brief interruption before the show, and enjoy. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Waddington. And before we get to uh, this week's film uh, focus of conversation, which is uh, Pather Panchali, uh, we will bring you some some film banter and some recommends, as we always do. Uh, Ian, how have you been? How have you been, buddy? It's It's been an interesting week. Uh, by the time this drops, I will be gainfully employed again, so Hooray! pretty happy there. There you go. Yeah. Pretty happy about that. It was not, not a super long stretch of being unemployed, so pretty happy about that. I understand you have had your first COVID shot. How are you feeling? Oh, oh, not well, my friend. Not well. Uh, I, I think it, it, it gleefully coincided with a, a sinus thing going on because, like, I'm not really allergic to anything, but whatever has been happening to my nose the last couple of days hasn't been great. Mostly I just feel exhausted, but I'm, I'm here. I'm set up. I'm ready to talk about a, a black and white Indian film, you know, that's uh, – that's very old. So, so we're we're. I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna try to bring as much energy as I can. I'm gonna bring about as much energy as um, Chunibala Devi brings as the old aunt, which is which is uh, not a lot, but I'm gonna make it. That's awesome, awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, earlier this week, I believe it was a Sunday. I don't know what I did. I think I maybe I, I did something right in the house. I, I, I don't remember what it was, but I earned some time to, to watch uh, a, a movie of my choice. Ian, Ian and I, we were, we were going back and forth with the texting. Do you remember what I watched Sunday evening, my friend? No, oh, no, it's slipped my mind. Oh, tell me. It, it, it's it's a it's a little movie called Southland Tales. Oh, that is that's right. Here we go. Hit me with it. OK, so. Uh, for for any of you who haven't seen Southland Tales, I'm not going to even try to explain what what it's about. I'm going to read what IMDb has, but this is really not even close either. Here we go. This is what it says. During a three-day heat wave just before a huge 4th of July celebration, an action star stricken with amnesia meets up with a porn star who is developing her own reality TV project and a policeman who holds the key to a vast conspiracy. Like, that's that's kind of what it's about, right? But that's also not what's going on. But, okay, so here's the thing. Ian, y- you, you've told me about this movie before. You'd seen it before, and I hadn't. And, and uh, this famously comes from Richard Kelly, who wrote and directed Donnie Darko. And in kind of a, like, a la PTA move after Boogie Nights, he was given kind of the, the keys to the castle right and he was kind of given this make whatever you want to make 
because you made this film that we all really like. So what 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 are your initial or not even initial thoughts? Because you've seen this uh, at least twice now. So what are your thoughts on Southland Tales? I mean, it's it's a lot. I mean, I think I mean, obviously, commercially, it's kind of a failure. And I don't I don't know how much of a success it is as a film, because the film is parts four, five and six. Parts one, two, and three are a graphic novel that were released separately, which, I, to be I have it. I've read it once or twice. You have to read it in order to, to fully understand and appreciate the movie, which is, you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to supplement sure. your viewing experience with something else, which is why I don't give a shit about what's going to go down with the next phase of the Marvel movies. There's been this whole back and forth about whether you're going to have to watch the TV shows or not. And that I was kind of out already, but I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to invest that amount of time yeah. into this. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I will say, Southland Tales, if you do take the time to read the graphic novel, it is a, it is definitely a little bit more rewarding. But for me, Southland Tales is really about more of like the time and the place. I think I mentioned to you, now I'm starting to remember in the text, I said, remember where we were in 2005 and 2006, you know, at the beginning or halfway through you know, Bush's second term in office, but the W's second term in office and, and the sort of angst that I think a lot of us were feeling about that administration and the Patriot Act specifically. Yeah, well, and it, there, there was, and that's, and that's very true, that that's very much in there. But like the thing about Southland Tales that kept me going, that really, like, you know, because I know obviously Melissa and I do below freezing, and we we talk about movies that are bad and whatever, and we and we go on our journey. And this, I don't think we could even do this one. I think this one has above thirty two. But like, does this movie make sense? Not entirely, but there are there are portions of this movie that are phenomenal, and I don't I don't mean that I, I don't mean that as like a like an empty kind of joke. Like in terms of like. This movie, I think, is meant to be serious, but there is a comedic scene between Amy Poehler and Wood Harris who are pretending to be a couple fighting to get the attention of the police that is fucking hilarious that ultimately turns tragic when John Lovitz shows up, which that is a sentence that I'm saying out loud to you right now. There's also a... I think I think if I wasn't such a theater nerd, the um, the... Uh, the killers montage little music video section of the uh, of the movie would would bug me but I actually think that that is kind of amazing and like I I, I know we, we talk about this sometimes but like the the swing that this film takes I mean that he Richard Kelly is not trying to, to knock the ball out of the out of the stadium I mean he is trying to knock this thing into the fucking atmosphere and for that i give him props like it it is it is it is weird it's bizarre the cg is 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 interesting as compared to how it's kind of used in the movie and what it's going for but like this movie is all over the place and it is it's something else and i think and i'll say i think sean william scott's best performance I think he's actually I think he's great in it. He is he is really good. That I think it's a runner up to me for uh, Goon. I still think Goon uh, is is Sean William Scott at his best. But this uh, would be definitely a close second. I've not seen Goon, but um, yeah, this is. I don't know, man. It's this. It's not my recommend. 
but mostly because I think if I was to recommend this, like five percent of the people who listen to this would actually try to watch it. And and I don't blame them because this is it's long, it's beyond unique, and it's 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 ultimately not gonna fulfill like what you want at the end of a movie, but man, it is fucking interesting. And I don't mean that it, like yeah. as like a It's ambitious. It's interesting when really I, that just means bad. Like it's no, it is an interesting, unique, weird, bizarre film. But um and I definitely don't regret watching it. It's actually something that I, I at some point, I, I, I know I will watch this movie again. Oh, that's that's great to hear. See, that to me in itself, you just saying that is kind of a win for me. Because I was expecting you to come into this thing and go, Ian, what the fuck are you talking about? No, it's, it's, enough, it's enough of that bananas crazy. I, like, um, did you ever watch The Leftovers on HBO? Oh no! I want to. Okay. So it's so high up my TV list. So I won't. I won't say what happens, and it's not exactly. It's actually not even close to what happens in Southland Tales. But it's that. It's my kind of weird, right? Where they don't over-explain anything, and and that that isn't to say that there aren't exposition dumps in Southland Tales because there are, uh, some of which that are delivered by a heavily makeup Kevin Smith, but um. But no, it's still it's my kind of weird, and I, I guess the last thing I'll say is just the cast. I'm not even gonna take the time because, but like, holy shit, the amount of people that you will recognize in this movie—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a feat. It is quite—it is quite amazing. Oh, I think The Rock is spectacular in it. Again, he's—he's he's going for it. He is going for it. I don't know what that line is. Like that line has just stuck with me, where he's like, "I'm a pimp," and pimps. Don't commit suicide. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I love Does it because because pimps don't do it, man. Because he he's a pimp. Yeah, remember, he certainly is. Pi- and when he's drinking, when he's drinking the full six pack, like one beer at a time, but he's got all six of them still on the the pull rings. I I love that. There's something so so classy about that. What he's doing in that scene. Do you remember that period of like the mid two thousands when we would just call things pimp? Do you, do you vaguely remember this? I, I do. I do vaguely remember oh, that. Man, this movie is so rooted in the, in the mid two thousands. It's great. It's also just yeah. a nice little like capsule of a piece. Yeah. It almost sounds like you, it almost sounds like you want it to be your recommend. Yeah. But well, I actually, I mean, it is and it isn't, it is and it isn't. I wish uh, I'm glad you mentioned below freezing. Uh, I wish I had done more this week. I've kind of been a little bit unfocused. I've been reading Cliff Nesteroff's book, The Comedians, which is a fantastic history of stand-up comedy. Um, I watched something that is very firmly in the uh, below freezing category, something that is perfect bait for your show at 23%, and currently on Netflix, The Happy Time Murders. You heard of the Happy Time Murders? Yes, I have. I have. This is the uh, the like you know Sesame Street or Muppets on like on drugs, not on drugs, but like R rated. Well, no, literally, literally oh, on literally. drugs. Perfect. It's, great. Yeah, and uh, and so is Melissa McCarthy. I think Melissa McCarthy. It's not a great movie, like by any stretch. I don't know if it's twenty three percent bad, but it's certainly kind of underwritten and kind of sells itself short. It definitely. It could have been so much more, and unfortunately, I think because it tanked so hard, we're, we're probably not going to see another movie like this for a while that R-rated. Take something that everybody's familiar with, like the Muppets, and like make it R-rated and crazy, but uh, Melissa McCarthy, as I said, is in it. Maya Rudolph, Elizabeth Banks, and of course, Maya Rudolph is just the best in everything she's in, yeah. but it's like a murder mystery... 
you know, 1940s PI gumshoe thing, and it's directed by Jim Henson's son, Brian. I mean, there are a couple of moments in it that are really, really stellar, but it is, I don't know, man, it just, it falls flat in so many places. Melissa McCarthy, it turns out, it's like she was this puppet's partner, and now, like, he's the reason why puppets can't be cops anymore, because he, like, refused, or people think he refused to shoot another puppet, and she got shot instead, and so now she's got a puppet liver, (laughs) and so now she's also, it's so weird, She now she is, they, like, there's like this whole underground like pink sugar racket i don't know it's like this super high concentrated sugar that these puppets live on but for humans i don't know it's like sugar cocaine it's there's this whole thing where they go into this underground crack den and she's like snorting massive rails of this crazy like psychedelic purple sugar shit and losing her i think i think melissa mccarthy is really really doing something special in it which unfortunately is gets lost in this kind of underwhelming experience i mean i i definitely heard about it and i i i heard that it was a half good movie and and i I never knew what that meant and exactly never really drew me i mean i was interested but you know it's it's even if you're if you're only mildly interested in a movie and it gets completely like negative reviews like it just you know it didn't it didn't spawn that 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 urged me to to sit down and watch it but i guess we'll, i guess we'll see hey if you guys need if you guys are hard up for a new show on below freezing there you go like i said it's 23 <laughs> percent. nice nice you'll get a couple of laughs out of it but probably not much more than that <laughs> <laughs> i know we actually the other night we were we were looking for something to watch and and um it, we were we were reminded that we'd only seen game night once so we popped that in fucking game night is so good dude game it's solid it is a great Je- and jesse Plemons is the absolute fucking best oh, in man. that it's great I, I i i totally love how just ridiculous and over the top it is and i don't i love it i love it <laughs> that's not my recommend but it it, it kind of is though too in its own way it, no. it's a good movie well, I, did, I guess we didn't really discuss who's going first. My my recommend has nothing to do with India or Satyajit Ray or the 1950s, so yeah. I have no preference yeah. who goes first. I, I, mine has nothing to do with it either. All right. Well, uh, uh, Dark Waters is my recommend this week. The tw- from 2019, the Todd Haynes film. Yeah, uh, it's a film Mark unlike, yeah, yeah, unlike anything else that Todd Haynes has done. It's something... So it's it's kind of a procedural. It starts off in the late '90s. Well, there's a there's a prologue that happens where we see some shady shit going down in the '70s. But really, it starts off in the '90s, and there's this this uh, corporate lawyer, the Mark Ruffalo character, and this family friend of his, this farmer played by Bill Camp, who, by the way, is just fucking like Bill Camp is just going for it in this movie. He's got huge, like, fake eyebrows on, and it's like, Liz Liz was telling me, because I have no idea when it comes to accents in that part of the world, because it's set in between, like, Ohio and West Virginia, and uh, she was saying to me, like, yeah, he nails the West Virginia accent, apparently, but he comes with all these documentations, all these videotapes saying, hey, DuPont is doing some shady shit, there's this landfill that's right next to my property, and all my livestock is dying, you gotta come help me, and, and of course, Ruffalo is sort of, he's hesitant to go at first because they're not they don't work for dupont but they have a good relationship with them but he ends up going and taking a look at it and discovering this entire conspiracy involving the dumping of this chemical waste and this chemical pfoa or better known as teflon 
And uh, I don't know if you know much about the, the vast sort of like conspiracy with that, the way that chemical, I mean, the, the, the little blurb at the end of the movie that tells you just the, like the effects of this. And that's at this point in our history, they believe that every living creature on earth and maybe up to 99% of all humans have this chemical that just won't break down. It's, it's already in there. There's pretty much nothing we can fucking do about it. Like, it's really, it, it really shakes you. Unfortunately, the movie, I mean, it kind of sort of suffers from a lot of the tropes and little easy, like the writers wrote themselves into a hole, and so we need, like, an easy way for him to, like, figure out, oh, he needs to get from A to B, and so we'll just slip in this little thing that he accidentally finds to get him there. So there's a couple of those tropes yeah. when it comes to those sort of investigative procedurals, but, I mean, if you really like stuff like Spotlight and All the President's Men, I think it's it's a really... It's a really engaging procedural. It's got a great supporting cast. Anne Hathaway plays his wife. You've got Tim Robbins as his boss. Uh, Bill, Pul- uh, Bill Pullman is in there a little bit. Victor Garber. Yeah. Uh, who's great. I mean, Victor Victor Garber, he's the he's the guy that made the Titanic. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I, I really liked it. I was really, really engaged by it. And it's, as I said, it's unlike anything else that Todd Haynes has ever done. I, mean, so I think it's a really, it's a really, really important movie. I highly recommend. The end is a little cheesy. There's a I won't spoil it, but the final line, the way it leads into the credits and Johnny Cash's cover of Tom Petty's "Won't Back Down," it's a little cheesy, but uh, at the same time, like everything that this movie and this character goes through, I kind of feel like it earns it. Yeah, I know this got this was kind of in that Oscar contention talk a little bit. I mean, and then and that that the problem with a movie like this is that it kind of fell by the wayside. It wasn't because it was an Oscar buzz movie but it never sort of took the bait you know for it. it it just kind of it just kind of faded away i heard good but i heard good not great things about it but but nothing yeah nothing really negative and i i heard ruffalo's good i've heard it i heard it was an entertaining movie for what it's for what it's trying to do yeah it's nice ruffalo is is kind of the opposite i mentioned Spy, spotlight he's kind of the opposite of that it's a much more restrained performance from mark ruffalo i think yeah. some of his best work in in years i mean i think he really does a spectacular more along the lines of uh that understated role in Foxcatcher. yeah yeah well, and, he, and he's he's good i mean i think he knows he can go he can go either end of that spectrum there which is, right, which is nice right um awesome my recommend is uh uh, uh not as recent uh, of a film it uh it, it it came out the year i think i think we're, are you an 87 baby uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're both eighty-seven. We are babies, both right? eighty-seven babies. Um, yeah, January into September, yes, so kind yes. of opposite ends of the year. But um, so uh, again, I had a, I had a night to watch something, and uh, I was going through, was going through the criterions, and it's like, what do I think will keep my attention today? I know. Let's go with David Mamet, and let's go with his directorial debut. House of Games is my recommend this week. Have you seen House of Games? I have not. So. Here's the thing. It's I'll describe the plot and then I'll, I'll say a few things about it. So basically, there is this uh, psychiatrist who's written this like best-selling book, and uh, she has a patient who comes in and says, basically, like I have to pay these these guys fifty thousand dollars or they're gonna they're gonna kill me. So she decides to kind of get herself involved, and that's where we meet Joe Montaigne, who uh, is the guy who apparently he owes the money to. We find out that it's not that much money, but we find out that he's a con man and she gets kind of interested in his world and what he's doing and it kind of meets his friends and they teach her, they kind of teach her some cons and like little, little tricks and stuff. But she, 
she sees the potential of like a book in this, right? She wants to follow these guys, particularly the Joe Montana character, see how they do what they do and essentially uh, write a story about it. Um, but lo and behold, uh, something goes wrong, which of course I'll keep vague because this is, you know, a thriller. It's, it's, you're meant to not know where, where it's going. Um, and then she gets way more involved than she ever thought that she would. Now, a couple things I want to say about this. I bet when this movie came out, it, it like probably flipped the lids of everybody who was watching it. But if you've watched thrillers over the years, it's kind, it's un. It's unfortunate because you can kind of go, aha, okay, yep, and, there, and then something's going to happen here, and then there's going to be a turn here, and then this is where it's going. Um, which is, I think, inevitable with a movie like this because there are, old, there are really only so many twists and turns it can take. Um, but I really like uh, – Lindsay Krauss is the, the lead in this. I believe she either is or was married to David Mamet. Um, definitely at the time of the movie she was. Um, and uh, – it's funny, Joe Montaigne, I've only ever really seen as like a side character or, or like, you know, like Fat Tony from The Simpsons. So, you know, my experience with him is, is limited, but he's he's really smooth and really charming in this movie. Um, and, I, you know, there's I, I like it. I like the vibe of the movie, This um, the way that they kind of go about their world. Small kind of cameo type uh, performances from like uh, uh, J.T. Walsh. Uh, William H. Macy is in there for one scene. Um, we were talking about Ricky Jay a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Heist, which is another David Mamet movie. Um, Ricky Jay is in this one too. Um, it's it's entertaining. It's witty. Um, it's not as fast as Mamet can be. Sometimes it's not like a stage play where the all of the dialogue is is um, is very fast, but it's very witty. It's got his it's got his sense of wit, um, and it it takes place in Seattle, which. There aren't a lot of obvious Seattle shots, but enough that you might go, I think this is Seattle. And then I looked it up and they shot in Seattle. So that's, that's cool. Um, oh, awesome. But a fun, just a fun, easy, thrillery type movie. Um, you know, not, nothing like The Sting, you know, but like, like when we, when, when you mentioned Heist not too long ago, it was like Heist is a David Mamet movie about a heist. House of Games is a David Mamet movie about con men. And it's it's now and if you don't like David Mamet, you probably won't like this movie, but it's slick, it's got style, it's got his dialogue, and everybody in it is 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 pretty good. So that's that's my recommend this week. Oh, it's awesome. I didn't know it was in the Criterion collection. Yeah, two of his are, and I can't now that I've said that I can't remember what the other Mamet film is that's in that's uh, a Criterion, but um he does have one more. And it's not it's not Oleana, right? No, it's not Oleana. Um, although there is a uh, an indicator version of Oleana. That's right. I need to I need to pick that up. Shit, maybe I'm just making it up. Homicide. That's what it is. That's another criteria. But well, I don't I don't know anything about homicide. I either. don't either, except for it's 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 Joe Montaigne again. Um, but I think that one is only on DVD with the criteria. I don't think that oh, one's been updated. Right, right. Got it. Anyways, yeah. So there you go. Dark Waters, House of Games, our recommends this week, which uh, in no way, shape, or form have anything to do at all with the movie that we are talking about today. And uh, the movie that we are talking about today is Pather Panchali, uh, or translated into Song of the Little Road. Now, uh, we're gonna, I'm just going to stop right here and let you know that this is an Indian film. 
that was made uh, in the early 50s and released in 1955. I am going to do my best with pronunciations now and throughout the, 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 the pod. So um, please know that we are doing our best. And that if we get it wrong, we mean no harm. We just, I, I, you know, nobody's here to tell us how to say these names. So there we go. Now, I heard Audrey Hepburn say this name because I, I didn't, I was, so I, is it Satyajit? Yeah, that, that sounds right to me. And, and, and I heard his last name pronounced as Rai, not Ray. Got it. I think, I think Satyajit Rai, I believe is his name. Um, because re- being the the Westerner that I am, I would have said Satyajit Ray. Satyajit Ray, I think, is it. But again, All again, right. no disrespect. Um, yeah. And this was based on a novel by a, a guy with a name which is much much harder to say than his. So I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna attempt it. Um, um, he cast uh, Kanu Banerjee as uh, Harahar, who is the father of the family. Karuna Banerjee as Sabaraja, sar, wait, sar, Sarbajawa, um, that is the mother. Um, Subir Banerjee plays uh, Apu, um, and uh, Runki Banerjee plays uh, Durga when she's a child. Um, and then there's also another Banerjee, Haran, who plays Chinizba, but I don't know who, I don't remember who that is in the movie. That's the sweet seller. And then there, there's and there's there's a lot of other people, but I, it really is about the family. So I I basically stopped there. Is there anybody else that you wanted to shout out? No, that's uh, I. The only other person I would have shouted out was uh, somebody you already did the sweet seller. Ah uh, yes, yeah. Um. So this movie came out in 1955. Um. Rye has three other movies in the book. Now I will say that two of them um are one is called The Unvanquished and one is called The World of Apu. Um, this is all. This is all part. If you include Pather Panchali as a part of the Apu trilogy, um, and then he has another uh, movie in the book called The Music Room. In terms of accolades, um, this was up for a BAFTA for, I believe, best film. Not um, what? Wait, what was the? Oh, Jesus Christ! They they call it best film from any source. Thank you. Yes, um, and that went to uh, The Bridge on the River Kwai, which of course at the Oscars that year won a bunch of stuff. Um, it swept at the BAFTAs too. Yeah. At the uh, at the San Francisco International Film Festival, this won Best Picture and Director. The National Board of Review gave it Best Foreign Film. Um, at Cannes, it was uh, uh, it was up for the Palme d'Or, but lost to a Jacques Cousteau film called The Silent World, um, which is which is something. <laughs> um, it also, but at but at Cannes, it won uh, Best Human Document. And had an OCIC special mention, which I'm sure means something that I'm not entirely sure what it what that means. It was formerly the International Catholic Organization for Cinema and Audiovisual. That that award doesn't exist anymore. It's called Cygnus. It's been merged, and it's now like the World Catholic Association for Communication or something like that. There you go. There you go. Um, it now this movie is not on the IMDb Top 250. However, it is on IMDb, the number one top rated Indian film, which you learn something new every day because I did not know that that was a list. So look at that. Yeah. So there's a separate list for Indian film because their output is, it's, it's huge. There's so many Indian movies put out every year. And I guess we should mention that the other two films 
in the Apu trilogy are also in there as well. Uh, the Unvanquished at 21 and World of Apu at number 5. And I, I didn't take the time to look, but I'm sure that list is loaded with uh, Raj is, uh, with, with his films. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine too. Um, uh, this movie has a 98% uh, critical and 94% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, anything else that you have before we just sort of launch into talking about the film? Uh, not really, but I mean, if you are a fan of uh, this type of the Indian music, uh, Ravi Shankar did yes. the score, and the score is absolutely fabulous. People might know that name because he was uh, associated with George Harrison, very influential on him and the Beatles, uh, was at Woodstock and Monterey Pop. You can see him in those documentaries. Uh, really, really interesting. I think really beautiful music. And I, we should probably say, we don't often mention producers, but... This is the first film we've done that has been produced by a government. Yes. Yeah, they um I I the uh the government of West Bengal, um which I love too. Um that little thing about that they uh halfway through he ran out of funds and so um the loan being listed in public records as Roads Improvement, which was a little nod to the um the title of the movie, Song of the Little Road, which is Yeah, I thought that I thought that was fun and cheeky. Yeah. Yeah, if you're, I mean, if you're going to do something, you, it's a, you're allowed to have a little fun, even if you're a government, right? You can, you can be nice and, and cheeky as you go through. Yeah. Um, all right, so I guess we could just talk about the, the plot a little bit, which, you know, again, not a knock against the movie at all, but there really isn't um, a huge plot to the movie. We basically follow the, this, this family. Um, uh, they, it seems like at once they might have been doing a little bit better, but they've, they've come on hard times. They're living in a, um, a fairly rundown house. Um, and, uh, the, the, the father is like a priest or he has some kind of a religious position, but he also seems to want to be a poet and a playwright. And he's got these lofty dreams. He's very philosophical and, um, uh, but they, he's not really making a lot of money. And so, you know, the, the, the mother is, is very concerned about how they're going to get by and what they're going to do. And, you know, now they have these two kids, Durga, who is their daughter, who is the oldest. Um, I, I don't want to call her a troublemaker because I don't think that's that's true. But she basically is just sort of spending her days filling it with whatever she can to get by. Um, Apu, which I'm, I, and I'm assuming because this is such a just a, a male dominated society that he gets to go to school and that get, he's sort of being raised with sort of better plans in mind. And also that they're sort of taking care of this old, this older lady who everybody calls her auntie. I, I was actually confused if she was their aunt of the family or not. I don't know that the movie ever really makes that clear, but, but she's there too. And really it's just about the, the day to day of this family. I mean, ultimately kind of where the movie progresses is that the father leaves to try to, to get some work and, and to make some money to get by. And um, some unfortunate things happen to the family as time goes on. I guess I'll, I'll pop in a spoiler warning here for a movie that came out in 1955. But um, uh, the old lady, uh, the old aunt does pass away. But then also um, Durga gets sick and she eventually passes away. And we can talk about the impact of that as, as things go on. And ultimately, I feel like this is a movie more about themes and ideas. And it really is about plots. Um, so considering that there isn't a whole lot of plot to set up and that it's really about this kind of the, the dynamic of this family and where they are and what their circumstances are, um, maybe I'll just, I'll just come right out and tell you, Ian, that I, I don't know what my answer is to the question that we ask at the end of the episode. Well, that's, that's kind of cool and exciting. Maybe we can, maybe we can discover it together. Um, 
Now, I, I will again. I will. I will. I'll be honest and upfront that I I put this off until last night because I just I I got my shot a couple of days ago. I've not been feeling great, and I just I I it came to the point where I had to watch the movie, which isn't always a great mindset to be in, right? Where you feel like you have to do something. So usually, even if I don't know the movie very well or I'm not looking forward to it. Whenever I, I pop one in to watch for the pod, there's always a sense of like, I'm doing it because I, I want to, right? But last night it felt like I watched it because I had to, which I, again, I'll put out there and say, not a great mindset to watch a movie in, let alone a foreign film, let alone an old foreign film, let alone an old black and white foreign film. So it was, I, it was an uphill battle for me from the beginning. Well, now you know how I felt when I had to watch the rules of the game. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was another movie we didn't respond so highly to. Yeah, um, yeah. But here's, but my here's my first here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and forth with things, right? But my first positive positive note, right? If Rye had a bigger budget, and could and could and and just like had had more going for this movie, I think in color, it would. I mean. I think it would have been gorgeous because I, I could tell how gorgeous the cinematography was even in black and white. Um, I think I said the same thing about Roman holiday. When we talked about that, I was saying I would love this movie so much more if I got to see the beauty and the vibrancy of Rome in full color. And that's, that's funny. You had that as your first note. Cause I'm like halfway, I'm at the bottom of the first page and that's, that's the last note on my last handwritten note on my first page is man, this movie so desperately wants to be in color and i know that i would love it more if it was in color to see the beauty of that huge those there's so many of those beautiful vistas you know just on the outskirts of the sort of jungle world that they live in yeah uh and these these huge beautiful skies that unfortunately were denied seeing in all their vibrancy that's not to say that the cinematography is bad i mean i think i think the cinematography is probably the unsung hero in this case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, because it's it's doing the best that it can with the limitations of the budget. Su- Subratra Mitra is the DP, and, and that's, he's my unsung hero uh, behind the camera. Um, Absolutely. And, 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 and not even, you know, the, like, you know, I'm, what, what I'm sure the landscapes would have looked like in color, but kind of the opening, the opening of the movie where we're tracking the uh, uh, Durga when she's a little girl, kind of going through the trees and stuff. Like, I just where the camera was placed and, and what it would have looked like with the, I, I could just tell that there was some, some thought given to, to those kind of shots. And, and I, I really appreciated that for, for what it was. I, I was getting strong Rashomon vibes. Actually throughout a lot of this film, I was getting very strong Kurosawa vibes, not only because of, of the movement of the camera and the black and white cinematography, but when it rains in this movie, it, fucking rains yeah as it does in in a bunch of like seven samurai and rashomon for instance i mean it really rains in those movies yeah so so that's that was one of my initial notes was just how 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 good the cinematography was but how much better it would have been had it been in color but then i have a note where i go 12 minutes in and it's already been a slog and that's the kind of movie that this is there isn't like if you're if you're looking for, you know, plot twists or big character developments, even really, it's it's not it's there's very little information is given out. Very little is doled out over the period of the movie. And you've really got to. You've really got to 
you've really got to be invested in it to 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 finish it to to really kind of see what the movie is is driving towards yeah no it's one of these slice of life pieces that you know you've got to you got to give something of yourself and you really have to that was again right at you know speaking about being on the first page of my notes and now jumping all the way to the last page it's uh and you really have to be willing to invest in this family and, and give over this two hours and allow this experience, like so many other films that we've done, where the, the journey is the destination and allow this experience to wash over you. But ultimately, I, I, I had no problem with the pacing. I don't know what it was that this one just really spoke to me. And I think it is, I not to, not to tip my hand right, right here at the beginning of our discussion, but I think it's a really rewarding experience. Well, it's, fu- it's funny that you kind of mentioned that because I, I, one of the movies that I'm, I'm sure that you're alluding to when you talk about this is Andre Rublev. Oh, absolutely. And, and I had the thought while watching the, this movie where I was like, I, I remembered the, the bell, right? Constructing the bell, and, and, and getting it to, 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 to the, the lift, the raising of the bell, and then seeing if it's going to work, right? And how, you know, how cathartic it is to hear the bell work and to see this kid, like, to- like who's totally unsure whether or not it's going to work, relieved at the, at the joy of hearing that this bell is working. And not that, not that the end of the movie or not, or not, not, not that Pather Panchali is, is necessarily working towards the last shot of the movie, but in a way, I kind of feel like it is, right? The, 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 the mother and the father and, and the son going away in the wagon and just looking back on the life that they, that they had and, and everything that they've gone through and, and this sort of this idea of was it all worth it, right? And I, I wanted to feel the emotional weight that I felt when I heard the bell ring in Andre Rublev. And it's not that I didn't feel it at all in this movie, but it wasn't, it wasn't as, as affirming as I wanted it to be. And I think I'm still trying to work out why that is because Andre Rublev is substantially longer. Is it a substantially longer film? But for whatever reason, I, I, I was in it more and I don't, I don't know why. I can get, I can see that, you may feel the length of this one a little more. As you said, there is no real cathartic moment. You know, you, you're left uh, at the end of this film, you're kind of left devastated and sort of done over by how cruel life can be. We talked about the, the Durga character, the sister, she ultimately, she doesn't survive. And I, I'm glad that you brought up as a comparison, Andre Rublev, because water is so prevalent. In, in his movies as well, and water is very prevalent in this movie, and I'm thinking, man, uh, uh, Ru- um, Tarkovsky must have drawn maybe some some inspiration from this. I love how uh, it's, it's almost so weird, it, I, and I'm sort of forcing the the, the comparison, but in his films where his light, uh, water is um, sort of life-giving, the, in this film, water is almost the opposite. It, water is almost what kills Durga. She's out in the rain, She's playing in that storm, and she she gets the fever, and she dies, and it's it's ultimately a storm, some sort of maybe not a hurricane, but some sort of tropical storm that comes in and completely devastates their home. You know, essentially this rain takes everything from them. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I want to stay on the subject of death in this movie for a second because 
there there are two pretty important deaths that happen, right? The the old aunt dies and and Durga dies. Now we get visual confirmation that the aunt dies and, and we even see a little bit of the kind of the funeral procession um, after she passes. But Durga's death is so it's just they really pass over it. Right. And I and I understand I feel like the intention of that obviously is to is to wait until the dad finds out for sure. And then that that's a moment of realization. But I'm I'm. I'm really I'm on the fence about this. It's like do we was her death given enough weight in the film? So that's a good question. I I feel like it is because I feel like we 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 don't necessarily need to to see it. We see it in the faces and in the uh, the changing of lifestyle of, of the three other members of the family. I, I really love the juxtaposition at the beginning of the movie once, you know, once Apu has been born and we flash forward several years later to now he's oh, an adolescent, he's seven, eight years old, whatever he is, and he's going to school and we get to be a part of his morning routine. He's brushing his teeth, he's eating, he's combing his hair. After Durga dies, we get a very similar montage, but now all the joy and all the life has been taken out of it, and now it really is just routine in the most basic of senses, and we see the mother, not quite catatonic, but she's, you know, lost one of the most important things in her life. She's she's let herself become disheveled. She stopped caring about her appearance, and I love the use of sound in this film, especially in the moment where the dad finds out all the sound is pulled out for a moment. And then we get his cry of anguish. Yeah. It's almost like, I feel like Coppola kind of ripped that off for the end of Godfather three. Well, I, I think I, I, when you say the way that sound is used in the movie, I think there are a few times where sound is used. Well, I think that's one of them, but otherwise I think sound is actually outside of the music. Sound doesn't know what it wants to do in this movie. I can't tell if, if it, you- I'll give you a couple. Sorry, continue. No, I just there are moments where I think he was also trying to play with this idea of what can what are we going to hear as the audience? But there are times where it plays like the movie didn't have the budget to, to fix the sound, a sound issue here or there. So I that I, and I realize it's an, it was an older movie that was barely made to begin with. But I I, I, I agree and disagree with you. <laughs> Well, I can, I definitely, I mean, I can't take anything away from that. The budget on this thing was was almost nothing. I think after. I, I tried to I tried to look it up and I want to say that like when you adjust when you adjusted for inflation it's something like forty grand yeah. like it's made on almost nothing. Uh, but the the two other instances of sound that I would point to the the strength of that whether it's accidental or not is we re- when the auntie when we find the auntie dead and her body falls and her, and her head hits that piece of trunk or piece of wood or whatever it is I mean you really feel that sound. Yeah, of her, of her, of her dead body, her empty body, just falling and hitting that tree. The other one is, I think they do a really good job mirroring uh, the scene where the dad finds out that Durga is dead after uh, the mother, after the mother has become so distraught with Durga. She Durga's been accused of stealing the neighbor girl's bracelet, and she can't. She's had it with Durga. She's had it with all her thievery and the auntie being a a bad influence and she grabs her by the hair and she starts dragging her through the courtyard. They pull out the sound. There's still a bit of Ravi Shankar's music on there, 
but they pull out the sounds until she throws her out the door and then instantly we're hit on the soundtrack with her screaming get out yeah i really really like that no and again like you said whether whether it's accidental or not who only they would know yeah um just while we're while we're kind of talking about the not just you know how little money they had to make it but how because of that how long it took to make it right that the the filming took almost about three years to do and yeah, I lo- no, they started in 1952 and i love this little note um that what that rice said about what he what he attributed the success to he said three miracles happened happened one apu's voice didn't change two durga didn't grow up and three it uh the woman who played the auntie didn't die which i was i had a note at some point in the movie i go I go. He's gonna show this woman actually dies, isn't 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 he? She's no. gonna she's gonna die, and it's gonna be become part of the movie. Um, and and she did she did actually die almost almost after this was wrapped up. She died of the flu. Um, but she did, I believe he did screen a version of it to her before she passed away. But she was in her eighties, and then you could tell, you could I mean you could just see how old she was. Is she your unsung hero in front of the camera? She is. Yes, and she's mine too. I mean we're two for two there. That's fantastic. And like, if, if for no other reason than just like watching her walk around and, and do as much as she did, like, you know, we just, um, uh, this is a weird timing and and I don't know how much, how much time will pass when this gets posted, but like Olympia Dukakis just died. Um, but like she was, and she was very old, but she was still doing stuff too, which is amazing. And like, and, and Anthony Hopkins just won an Oscar at 83 years old and, you know, it's just it was it's really it's 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 so great to see people work this much as an actor, even into their later years. And I didn't I couldn't find much about her, but she started off as a theater actress and did a, did a couple of films, basically came out of retirement to do this. Um, but it, that's great. I, th- and I thought her her energy and her presence and what she brought to the movie what, and it was needed. It was needed because. The, because the film is so routine, as you had kind of said, that like she brings um, a spark of vitality even at her age that the movie desperately needs. Oh, she is between the, her and the two kids. And I, I love both of the kids in this movie. They really are the heart and soul of this piece. And watching them interact, I love the uh, I love the exchanges between Durga and Ansi. And you can clearly see that she is rubbing off on Durga and. Uh, there's some really beautiful cinematography in that, as I mentioned, with the routine. And we, we're forced to, when the auntie crosses the courtyard, we're, we stay with her. We watch her cross that courtyard. And we see uh, we see Durga bringing her little pieces of fruit that we've stolen, that she's stolen for her and hiding them in the basket. I think there's some really lovely stuff in there. Like I said, oh. ultimately, it's it's rewarding if you if you have the patience. And I'm not saying that you don't. But I mean, as to our listeners in general, like you really are going to have to sacrifice a full two hours. Not this isn't a brisk two hours by any stretch of the imagination. This is you will feel every beat, and I think, I think deliberately. Well, and I there's think for a reason. And there's so much like okay, so again, and for a movie that I just said where there's not a lot of plot, there there are so many things that I I I, I want to point out, right? Which is, um, like one of them, for instance, is how contemporary of an idea a lot of this movie is and 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 particularly what what made that apparent to me was when the mother is trying to get water from the well and she's listening to the neighbor talk very loud about her but not to her right and like i don't mean to call up my wife but um 
like she watches the real housewives of fill in the blank city and like this is what this shit is right this is just gossip and like fucking just talking shit about your neighbors and like this movie in a weird way does have that has a contemporary vibe right like oh i have my kids but like my one kid doesn't do this and my other kid does that and and it, it you know it does have some contemporary kind of vibes to it in that way um while at the same time like i i what was hard for me to imagine was that this was a contemporary film right now obviously we watch it and it's it's very old now but that this wasn't a movie made in 55 about like the early 1920s right this was a movie made in in the 1950s about people living in the 1950s like that that i found like a, like kind of incredible right that 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 the this family was living this way and like you know if you think about america circa 1950s right this is like you know the the nuclear family right you know three bedrooms two baths and a garage for every family or whatever the fuck it was like it just was such a weird contrast to see to see how people were living like this and then even how this family was living in conjunction to the people that lived around them right i mean people constantly like the the wife talking about we need to make these repairs we need to do this and that and the thing about this movie even in its slow pace is how circular everything is and what i mean by that is how what what comes back into play right what's going to pay off later on and and we already talked about what happens after durga dies and you know watching apu comb his hair at the end versus at the beginning when she's combing his hair and that like the stark change in that we get the callback you know someday i'll take you to go see the trains and then we feel like durga's being a dick to apu later on as, as she keeps walking away from the house ultimately to find out they've been walking she's been leading him to the train tracks and it's it's ultimately this sweet moment right but the other the other callback is the wife being like we need to fix the house we need to fix it we need to fix it we need to fix it and you can't help but go if they had taken some of that money that the husband had made earlier on and not repaid some of those debts and instead fixed the house, if that would have kept Durga safe from the from like because yes, she gets sick, but I think we're meant to imply from what we see later on about the them having no no nothing to block the wind from coming in, right? The water's coming in, the winds the the the, the rain and the wind. She can't get better. She's getting that chill and and if they don't have a place to live that's safe for her, then like ultimately is that is that what i don't well, that's gonna sound harsh but is is it ultimately is that what killed her and that comes back full circle as well yeah no that is a that's a haunting sequence i mean that that really got to me when you you feel again so i think there's some great sound design in there with the, the rattling and the creaking and the you know the all they don't have windows they just have bits of cloth in front of where the windows should be so that's whipping back and forth in the wind and the doors are slamming on their hinges and there's that great shot of the little idol that they have on the shelf rocking back and forth um that yeah man that really that really got to me and you have to i think you do have to imagine hey if they had taken some of that money then yeah we we durga may still be alive so i have a couple other things um so i got i have a question for you and again i and because this is still so fresh, I don't know that I've had all, like, you know, I usually like to watch these movies on, like, a Monday or a Tuesday, which gives me a few days to let it percolate and sit. But what do you, what do you make of 
before they leave the house, Apu finding the necklace that it was alluded to earlier that she stole. Like it, it is, what, like how do you feel when you when you make when that discovery is made? There's a yeah. There was a couple of things that went through my mind at that moment. One, I I really like it. I think it's I think it's a great scene. I think oh wait, it's... sorry, sorry. And follow follow up question. Did James Cameron steal the end of Titanic from Pather Penchali? Yes. Okay. Unequivocally. <laughs> uh, no, I was like, two things went through my mind. And obviously he wants to, to honor the memory of his sister and he wants to protect her. He doesn't want, you know, after she's gone to people to just, I mean, people called her a thief enough while she was alive, taking yeah. the fruits and people believing that she'd already taken the necklace. There's no reason to confirm that but it's also I, I love that shot i love him throwing it into the pond it's almost this odd sweet little tribute to her to her memory i i, I really liked that a lot it did a, it did a couple of things for me i was really as i said there was so much in this movie that touched me it really did really did touch me as well as um there's a shot of the four of them before the father takes this job and leaves and the mother is combing durga's hair and uh, Apu is sat by his father reading and, and learning how to read and write. Uh, you talked about circular things. There's a lot of mirror images in that movie because that the way that's framed is also shown after the house has fallen into disarray, Durga has died and they leave. There's a shot of, of that little bit, that stoop, that porch where they were sitting, completely empty, where now once there was life, there is none. Yeah. There's so much in the in the framework and the structure of this movie, which is mind blowing to me, considering that they didn't have a script. It was all storyboards and drawings. Yeah, and and you know you can kind of you can kind of feel that though, in the and not and not necessarily in a negative way, but you can feel that they're not nobody's trying to force plot. You know, it's just it's it's little situations, right? It's 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 the did you steal the necklace? It's it's the kids having a picnic. It's going to the the festival. It's all these little, yeah, these little things that happen in there, um, which is also why it just it does, you know. I I've never quite uh, understood because this isn't the first time that we've seen like that this best human document thing. It can show up, but this movie makes it pretty clear to me what they mean by that, and just I think and and for me at least the way I interpret it is just like how well we can show true life without being a documentary, like like. How can we show life as it is, but still in you know in the art form that is film? And I and at least in my mind and that in the way that I view that award, it, this makes total sense. Oh, absolutely, and it's it's certainly indicative of so many of those. Uh, it's inspired by Italian neorealism, and it, it, I think it certainly leads into like French New Wave of wanting you to have a realistic experience and to make you think about life around you and uh that's another reason why no one would back it it's such a different at the time such a different type of film to come out of india to come out of anywhere really i mean because when you think about bollywood films i mean they're all three hours long and have a ton of song and dance numbers in them yeah and nobody wanted to bank on telling a real human story which i think is a shame it's, as I as I keep hammering home, I found this to be a very spiritual, moving, and rewarding experience. In fact, if you'll indulge me, yes, uh, Martin Scorsese 
last year for the film's 65th anniversary, wrote a little piece for the Indian Express. I'll read a little bit of it. He said, so for most of us here in the West, seeing the trilogy for the first time was a bracing and eye-opening experience and a very moving one as well. The people that had been in the background of so many movies were now the characters in the foreground. He had talked a bit about seeing films set in India where the the leads had all been, you know, people from the West living in India or, or, or colonists and uh, the people of their own country were extras in those movies. Uh, the pictures told stories of everyday life in a vein that was somewhat familiar to Italian neorealism, as I mentioned, and the artistry, the filmmaking, it took my breath away. It was poetic, immediate, sweeping, and intimate all at the same time. I saw all three of these pictures in one sitting at a theater in Manhattan. I was mesmerized. That remarkable close-up of Apu's eye in Pather Panchali, the way the cut works with the southern burst of Ravi Shankar's music. For me, that was one of those precious, revelatory moments you have in a movie theater, and it had a profound and lasting effect on me as a filmmaker. And the trilogy was only the beginning of one of the great was only the beginning of one of the greatest bodies of work in the history of cinema. I don't know if you want to take Scorsese's word for it or not, but there it is. Well, and and you know, it's one thing to hear, you know, oh, this director said this about that film, but there are there are a handful of directors. Um and I and I really mean that. Like there are plenty of directors whose work I appreciate. Um to keep it contemporary, right? Like Denis Villeneuve, um, Christopher Nolan, David Fincher, Rid like you know, like there are plenty. But like, when it comes, you almost said Ridley Scott there. Ridley Scott, yeah, you... yeah, right. no, no, are yeah. You, are you starting to come over to my side? No, I like shut the fuck up. I like Ridley Scott. Don't do that. <laughs> just because I haven't except seen, for, except for a good year. Just be well, that because that's a terrible movie. But that's but good directors are allowed to make bad movies. Um, Tenant. <laughs> that's fine. There you go. Um, but, like, I've listened to Scorsese talk about the films that he likes. And I've listened to Tarantino do it as well. And the way in which they're big about um, pushing forward cinema and giving voices to the unheard and reminding you of the, the obscure films that people don't talk about anymore. Like, those two guys are people whose opinion on film I respect because it's because their, their love for cinema is deep-rooted and real, right? So... Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's great. If, I mean, if it was somebody else, I don't know how much I'd care or buy it. But Scorsese's been championing films for years, right? He helps with restorations. It's just that's who he is. So I I I totally buy and believe and appreciate what he says. Are we starting to sway you over to wanting to keep it in the book? Me and Scorsese, as humble as we are. I usually think about you and Scorsese in the same thought when I'm when I'm going back and forth. It, I, I know you do. Um, so I I will say I I I I you know this this sort of idea of what what art is supposed to do and sometimes it means holding up a mirror back to the audience so you can kind of see yourself in it. Um, and not that I I see myself totally in the dad, but there's there's some I had some interesting thoughts watching the dad story as some somebody who wants to be a playwright right and a poet and who could be finding a more regular job but seems like he's also pretty content on wanting to do what he's and very reluctantly sort of um deciding okay I, i'll start to do some work that isn't you know that that is going to help the family versus my own selfish needs and you know, I for anybody who I we've said this before on the show, but like I'm I'm an actor. It's what I have my degrees in, and I I teach theater right now. 
but it's just you know it's this you know like if if push came to shove what would i do right would i would i continue to pursue this passion of mine that i absolutely love or do you, you suck it up and you do what's best for your family and if you're a decent human being you do the latter you you do what's right for your family but it, you know and and then of course selfishly i was hoping there'd be more of that in the movie of like of of like watching him struggle with that i think my biggest my biggest nitpick of the movie is not that it's slice of life but that i think the movie doesn't have a strong point of view cuz i can't tell whose movie this is right you could say the families but that's too broad and and i think i think at the end of the day i th- i want to say it's the mom's movie as as she's kind of trying to fight to keep them all together and and obviously when the father leaves to go get some work she's the one trying to keep keep them fed and alive and and all of those things but it also and then it's the kids movies and then it also it's then it's the ants movie and it's there's just a there's there's not a strong point of view and, and, and in that way this definitely is a first feature like i think with time and and of course, and we haven't like this is the this is the first Rye film that we've seen. We haven't seen the other two movies of the trilogy, and I'm assuming that as time goes on, and he was able to quit. I think well, he he was in advertising, and focus solely on making art and film. I'm sure he got better with that, right? And it seems like at least the last movie seems to focus on Apu, just based on <laughs> the title of the movie alone. Um, but that I think that's my biggest biggest i'll use the word issue i guess with the film is i don't know whose movie it is i do like you saying that it's the moms though i I like that perspective i mean she is really the constant throughout the movie and there is a there is a deep sort of melancholy to her trying to to be a homemaker keep this family together i mean i i love the the heartbreaking sort of bittersweet moment where she said you know i sacrificed too when she talks about i had dreams as well but now here we are at his ancestral home away from the city, you know, desperate to make ends meet. And, and at the time she doesn't know, but it's going to end in tragedy. Yeah. Well, and and again, like when she's talking to him, you know, like you go, you go do whatever you do during the day. And I, we don't have any neighbors. I don't get to talk to anybody. And like the kids are off doing whatever they're doing. And and, you know, I I, I definitely I feel bad for her in a very like uh how, how, god how do i want to say this in the way that i would feel bad for anybody in like today in that similar boat like oh well you get to go off to work and you know but i'm i'm here doing this and that and i don't get to have a quote unquote life outside of the house because i've i'm contained to this building and and i mean for anybody who got relegated to working at at home in covid like i'm like i, I don't necessarily envy anybody in the early days of COVID who had to keep going into work necessarily. But there is something about like feeling confined to your home and not getting a break from like, from being here that, that is, that starts to have a mental, like it, it affects your mental state of being. And, and, and I think we can all, I think we could all relate to this mom in this movie, given the year that we are just slowly starting to come out of. Oh, absolutely. And that's another one of those, great juxtaposing scenes a circular moment where as you mentioned at the beginning of the movie there's that bit where you know people are talking not to her but about her but loud enough so that she can hear it 
Yeah. And it's not until the end of the movie where they're already leaving town that the community and a, and a child has died that the community starts to rally around them. That's that sort of two-faced nature. Uh, I found that to be incredibly heartbreaking. Yeah. It, I mean, and it it's tough because I, you know, obviously we want to not like the, the neighbor lady, the lady who was talking shit about her early on, but then she does try to help and like, why didn't you talk to me? Like when she... The, when when that late, the neighbor comes over and sees like just ha- like what is it like less than a handful of food is what they had there, and and you know she asked the simple like you know what were you gonna do, and there's no answer to that question and like that's that is just so like the the non answer to that question is is all the answer we need and it it's it's and it's all the more heartbreaking the fact that there is no response. Absolutely. So are we there? Is it is it question time already? I I don't I I don't know, but I you're definitely I definitely feel like I'm coming to the side of of being more positive, and it's not. I mean, again, I, I the criticisms really is that it's it's a first feature and it's it's loose in its narrative. It, it doesn't have a clear point of view, and it feels long. But but as we've already said, right? This is a movie that's meant to feel it. You're meant to feel this time. I'm also curious as to when we, because I think we've talked about maybe we'll revisit this about the same time next season. We'll do one film in the trilogy per season. Is when we get to the end of this, are we going to feel like the the book in itself has already set a precedent for combining films? You know, the Toy Story saga, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Are we going to feel like maybe this should be in there as one entry? I mean, is, is what I'm curious to, I, to get to at the end of, of seeing all three. I'd be curious too. I mean, and I feel like, I feel like they should do shit like that anyway. I mean, I, I you know, I wouldn't know, and I and I haven't seen it right, but like, I would, I would never just put one of, I, I wouldn't just put before sunrise, in in the book, right? Like you don't, yeah. you you would have to do, it's the trilogy. I mean, they're they're all connected. That you need like it's one thing. Yeah, and part of me feels like that's probably the case with these, and and not that they, and not that they all couldn't stand in on their own merit, but if it's a continuation of a character in a story, then yeah, I mean, yes, we've we've whenever we get to the the, the Lord of the Rings is is in as a trilogy, right? Yes. Okay, it's it's the Star Wars movies that are each in there. There are four Star Wars movies in there, right? Yeah, oh wait, did Force Awakens not come out? Oh, I don't I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, but, but yeah, that's, but that's horseshit. It is. It is horseshit. It is absolute horseshit. Um, because there you go. That's two more spots where you could put Magnolia back in and uh, American Beauty back in. Oh, I love Magnolia. I love Magnolia. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't have much more to say. I the I think when the movie, what my my hope is that if people, well, oh, that's so. I guess the the last thing I want to say is that this is on HBO Max, which is actually great. And there are actually a lot of quote unquote criterion films that are on HBO Max and that And there's a lot of uh his films on there as well as of Ray's films on there. Yeah, and and so I guess what first I just would say kudos to you HBO Max because you're not just I mean, really, I think I, I would say HBO Max is killing it right now in terms of the streaming services because they've got this Warner Brother deal, right, where if you like new movies, 
well, then you're in luck because once a month you're going to get something that would have been released in theaters or that is coincidentally going to be in theaters and you can watch it at home if you want, right? And then you've got like the recent big hits and then you've got your sort of classic standards, right? Comedies and action films from like, you know, a decade or two decades ago. But then now they've got this whole classic film library building up and like HBO so Max. ninety nine a month would be worth it just for that TCM curated list alone. Yeah. Forget all the other shit that's on there. I mean, they are. It's the right now. It's the service that Liz and I keep coming back to the most. And again, and and I I, I know the. I'm pretty sure the Warner Brothers deal is gonna. It's it, this is the one year that's gonna be it. I don't I don't think they're renewing it that way. But like, I gotta say for like 2021 is a great year to have HBO Max. So so that's just a, an endorsement from two guys on a film podcast that you should probably have that service because. There's a lot on and, there. And and give us some of that HBO money. God, give us some of that HBO money. We would we'll take it. We don't we don't have any standards. We'll 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 plug yeah. you. We'll plug it. Yeah. yeah. You know, we used to always so, shout and, and because I genuinely like it. We used to always shout out Criterion and it's not that we don't anymore, but like we could shift. We could start shouting out HBO Max. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be a whore for the advertising industry. I, I don't give a shit. I need the money. Damn right. Damn right. <laughs> So then I, I, is there any, I don't, I don't want to cut you off. Is there, is there anything else that you, that you would like to say about it? Well, I think we've already mentioned Unsung Heroes. I've already mentioned some of my favorite shots. I will, I think I, there are a lot of good shots in this movie. And and in a movie where there's not too much dialogue, there's actually, it's, it is fairly image heavy. Um, I think my favorite shot is the kids following the sweet seller but we're following the shot through the water, the reflection of yeah. the water. I, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's the Andre Rublev shot. It, and it, I say, it's not, I mean, I mean, this is an old movie, so it may have been an early film to do that, but like, it's, it's how long the shot lasts and, but the clarity of it too. Like it's, it's not like the water isn't moving a whole lot. It's very, but it's very clear that it's reflection. Cause it's upside. It's, it's just a great shot. It's a really, it's That's a really awesome. good shot. I love it. I love everything about the cinematography in this movie. It's set for the fact that it's not, Maybe maybe being in black and white's a blessing. Maybe we don't know how good we have it. Oh, I will say, do you know who uh who probably didn't like this movie? PETA. PETA. Oh, PETA? Because the way they just throw those cats around, man, they <laughs> Oh, and the when the auntie drops her sack on top of one, I'm like, she just flattened that cat, man. <laughs> so yeah, if you've got there you go, trigger warning. She does throw that one cat pretty viciously. I mean, I know that there's I, – I, I'm going to get this wrong a little bit, but I know there's a whole thing about how, like, there's something, you know, where you can grab a cat by the back of the of the how neck. The, the scruff. Yes, but, that, like, that's how, like, wild cats would carry their cubs, and it's not actually – if you do it the right way, it's not like you're being, like, a dick. It's like that's just – it is a way to grab a cat. Um, so I think people – People might see that initially because I think the daughter grabs some of the, the kittens out that way. I didn't react negatively to that because I, I know that. But then there are some moments later where, where yeah, cats get flattened and, and thrown. They're like, ah, well, that's no good. <laughs> okay, sorry. Ian, do you think that Pather Panchali should be in the book? Yes, I do. Highly recommend it. I loved it. Adam, have you have you come around to the side of righteousness? <laughs> do you 
you gonna join me and Scorsese in our in our love for this film? I I am. I am gonna join uh the path of righteousness beset on all sides by the tyranny of evil men. Um Sorry, I, I just I had to yeah. do it. Well, that's what I'm setting you up for. Yeah. Um. No. I. I. Yes. I do. And it, it's and it's not it's not the like the typical recommend, right? It's not it's not us talking about Dog Day Afternoon, right? It's not us talking about Goodfellas. It's it's a it is a different kind of recommend. Um, but it's not like this movie is impossible to find, as we just mentioned. It's on HBO Max, and because this movie it, at its core is about a family. They're really, I mean, I feel like there's going to be something in this movie for for everybody to connect to. It, it might not be the whole film, and it might take a while for you to find whatever that nugget is, but it is in there. And I think if you have the patience to to stick it out, that you will find it. And um, hopefully at the end, you'll have found that it is worth your time. Well, that would be my hope as well. But... You know, again, we're just we're just two guys on a film podcast, so we we always want to know what you think. So you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter and hit us up. Let us know what do you think of Pather Panchali? Do you think that it should be in the book? You can find the show on Stitcher and Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Please rate, review, subscribe, like any of those things. Whatever service offers what, it's all great. Um, we continue to love the the interaction that we have with you. So please. Um, let us know what you think. You can support the show at patreon.com slash a thousand and one by one. Uh, if three bucks, you can recommend a recommend. And at five bucks, you can pick a film that we talk about. Um, we're a couple of weeks away from, from another Patreon pick, which we're really excited about. And we're going we're like, we're, we're touring the world right now, right? We, we went to India and now we're going, we're going back to Ian's, we're going to Ian's motherland. We're going to the UK next week. And, um, we're going to talk about... Have you seen next week's film? I've only seen it once. I haven't seen it. Ah, great. This will be... Because I haven't seen it in I've a seen, long I've time. I've seen, I think, two of his films. Uh, so it'll be... It'll be it'll, not one of them. It'll be a great... It'll be an interesting conversation that we have. It's the uh, the 25th anniversary of this there film. Um, so we will be talking about uh, an intimate drama next week. But until then, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week. <laughs>